Hey church, this is Pastor Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today here on FC Radio. I hope this message encourages you in your walk of faith and helps you to become a better follower of Jesus. Check out our website at www.ferncreekcc.org and let us know how we can be praying for you. Here's the message. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Hey, I've been waiting all year to be able to greet you this way. Merry Christmas. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's not happy winter, yuletide, or merry season's greetings. Man, it's Christmas, and that's what we need to remind ourselves. It's all about Jesus, right? So don't get sidetracked by the trees and the lights. We need to remind ourselves that Christmas surely is all about God sending his one and only son into this world, and that's news that we we need to hear. It has been an incredibly difficult year. I mean, this pandemic is making everybody go crazy. We're shutting everything down, and, and I know it's been a hard year. And so as we thought about the Christmas season, we thought, man, we, we, we need to have some joy, right? We need to have some fun. We need to have some, some happiness. This is joy to the world, and, and we gotta have joy in the midst of this pandemic. And so we thought, well, what can we do with the Christmas season, uh, series and season to bring that, that joy back? And so we, we thought long and hard. We said, well, you know what? Let, let's do a series on, on a Christmas movie. Like, let's take a movie, springboard it into some biblical truth, because I don't know about you, but nothing says Christmas in our house like a Christmas movie. I don't know if you have a favorite Christmas movie. I'll tell you what, let's do. I'm going to give you a line. Let's see how well you know your Christmas classics. I'm going to give you a line from a famous Christmas movie. You turn to your neighbor and you tell them what movie it's from, okay? All right, so here's the first one. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. What movie? What movie? Yep, yep, let's put it on the screen. It's a wonderful life. All right, all right. Now let's, let's step it up a little bit. Let's, let's, let's get a little bit harder. How about this one? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. All right, yeah, I heard it. I heard it. Christmas story, Christmas story. All right, how about this one? The best way to spend, uh, spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Yeah, elf, elf, elf. So, so again, I don't know uh, if you got a favorite. Maybe it's the, the nativity story. I, I try to watch that every single year. That gets me into the Christmas spirit. Maybe it's uh, Home Alone, The Grinch, Charlie Brown. But as, a, as, a, you know, as, as we were thinking about bringing joy back to you this Christmas, we thought there's one Christmas movie that I think would make a brilliant segue into some biblical truth, and that is Christmas Vacation. We are gonna take Christmas Vacation. How many of you seen Christmas Vacation? Can I see your hands? Awesome. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. See the TV version. Let me get that out there right away. But I mean, here's why I think Christmas Vacation is so needed. You've been quarantined with your family for all these months, right? And maybe you're starting to look at your family and go, man, we are crazy. We are dysfunctional. Well, when you watch Christmas Vacation and you see the Griswolds, you look at your family and you go, maybe we're not that bad, right? I don't know if you know much about the movie, but Clark wants the perfect Christmas. He just wants to celebrate the perfect Christmas. So he enlists his, the help of his, of his wife and, and Ellen and his kids, Rusty and Audrey, and he's like, we are gonna pull off the perfect and the best Christmas. And, but you know what happens, man? One thing after another after another happens, and Christmas goes crazy, but he still holds out the hope for his Christmas bonus check, and uh, man, it, it is a pretty funny movie. Things really, in, in the movie, things really begin to fall apart when one of his relatives shows up, a guy by the name of Cousin Eddie. 
Take a look at this. Take a look at this. That's a honey of a tree, Clark. You real? Yeah. Yeah. I dug it out of the ground myself. That a fact. Hey, hey, get out of there! Stop! Go! No. Oh, don't worry about it, Clark. Little tree water ain't gonna hurt him. Before we left, he drank a half a quart of Penn's oil. Boy, when he lifted his leg the next morning. Whoa. <laughs> Eddie, if he drinks the water out of there, the tree's gonna dry up. Come on, out of there. It's not. Out, out, out. You get out of there. Come, get in the kitchen now. Get in the kitchen there. Get you something to eat. Go on. He's cute, ain't he? can't believe you're actually standing here in my living room, Eddie. Mm. <laughs> Never thought the day would come. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too. Yeah. It's a crying shame the older kids couldn't make it. I'll, I'll get that. Don't worry about it. Mm. Let me do it. <sighs> yeah, I got the daughter in the clinic getting cured off the wild turkey. And the older boy, bless his soul, is preparing for his career. College? Carnival. You gotta be proud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, last season he was a pixie dust spreader on a Celtic world. He thinks that maybe next year he'll be guessing people's waiter barking for the yak woman. You ever see her? No. Yeah, she's got these big horns growing right out above her ear. Yeah, she's ugly as sin. But a sweet gal. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Get you something to eat? Drive you out to the middle of nowhere, leave you for dead? No, I'm doing just fine, Clark. Just glad to be here. Yeah. So, when did you get the uh, tenement on wheels? Oh, that there, that, uh, that's an RV. Yeah, yeah, I barred it off a buddy of mine. He took my house, I took the RV. <laughs> it's a good-looking vehicle, ain't it? Yeah, it's so nice parked in the driveway. Yeah, it sure does. But don't you go falling in love with it now. As we're taking it with us when we leave here next month. Now, when you watch the movie, Because Cousin Eddie has got to be my, my favorite. We, we call Cousin Eddie an outlier. He, he's a misfit. He's an oddity. He's strange. He's crude. A few fries short of a Happy Meal, right? And here's the reason why we're drawn to him. Every one of our families has a real Cousin Eddie in it, don't they? I mean, if you thought long enough and hard enough and you surveyed your family tree, each limb, you would find a few Cousin Eddies in your family. Now, if you're having trouble figuring out who the Cousin Eddie is, like you look at your family and you're like, we don't have any. Well, maybe it's you, right? So I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Now, here's the connection. Here's the connection. When you look at the family tree of Jesus... When you study the family tree of Jesus, you see a bunch of Cousin Eddie's thrown into the family tree of Jesus. And that's really important. If you've got your Bibles, I want to show you this. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to the first gospel, Matthew. So turn them on, flip them over. Matthew chapter 1. The first 17 verses in the gospel of Matthew are probably the most skipped over verses of the entire Bible. Because when you come to them, when you come to the first gospel, the first 17 verses are nothing but a list of names. It's just a genealogy, and most people skip right over it because the names in that list, are, they're not simple. I mean, it's not like Brenda or Bob or Bobby Sue, right, Billy. No, no, no. These are hard names. These are names like Aminadab, 
Jehoiakim, Zerubbabel, right? These are names that strike fear into anybody who has to read them. They're dry, dusty names. They don't really mean anything to us. But I want you to know that names, and especially genealogies back in the day of Jesus, were very, very important. You really needed to understand where you came from, especially if you were going to try to prove that you were the Messiah. The Messiah had to be able to trace his lineage back to King David. If you couldn't do that, you certainly were no Messiah. But for these first 17 verses, as we list names after names after names, Matthew is going is to do something really different. He's going to highlight He's going to add into this genealogy a bunch of Cousin Eddie's. That's very peculiar. I mean, most people, when they were doing genealogies, wouldn't do that. Like, if I came to you, you're going to put a bunch of Cousin Eddie's. If I came to you and I said, hey, uh, Sam Poulton, I want you to know something. I did your family tree. And you know what? You're related to Roseanne Barr. You would probably say, could we keep that to, just to, to us, right? I mean, it's not something you want to highlight, right? You want to hide some of the oddities. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the good guys, David, absolutely, let's, let's focus on them. But these Cousin Eddies, these outliers, these scandalous men, these scandalous women, can't we just edit them out of the, the picture? And, and, and Matthew's like, no. Matthew is going to highlight them, and he's going to do it for a very, very important reason. So let me show it to you. Let me show you why these 17 verses are verses you shouldn't skip over. So look at Matthew chapter 1. Let's start in verse 1 and let's learn about some cousin Eddie's in the family tree of Jesus. Look at verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. All right, so I'm going to, he's going to say, the, we can trace him back to David, we can trace him back to Abraham. So let's go 41 generations back. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of, what's the next word? Ah, oh, you said Judah. Judah is the first cousin Eddie on the list. Now I don't know if you know much about Judah. Do you know much about Judah? Judah was the fourth of 12 sons of Jacob. Remember Jacob had the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel? Judah was the fourth son. Now, now do you know much about the boys of Judah? Well, remember, those, those boys, there was a favorite in the lot. It was Joseph. Remember Joseph? The, jo Joseph was the father's favorite. One day, all the boys were out working, and here comes Joseph with a new multicolored robe given to him by his father, and the boys go bananas. They said, that's the last straw. They tie him up, they throw him in a well, and they're going to kill him. But one, one of the brothers, one of the brothers says, let's don't kill him. Killing him doesn't do anything for us. And all of a sudden, he looked up, and there was a slave caravan that was heading towards Egypt. He said, I got it. Let's take our only brother, our, our, our brother, our, our blood, you know, let's sell him. Let's sell him into slavery. So, so who was that brother? It was Judah. It was Judah's idea to sell his own brother into a life of slavery, knowing full well what slavery would do to him. Uh, so man, he sold his own brother. Judah marries a pagan woman, a non-Jew, and, and the two sons, his first two sons are evil. The Bible says they're so evil that the Lord puts them both to death for how evil they are. Judah later on in his life is going to proposition a prostitute. He's going to sleep with a prostitute. The prostitute turns out to be the daughter of one of his dead sons. It sounds so Jerry Springer, doesn't it? But that's, that's, that's Judah. He, he's a cousin Eddie. And it's like, why, why would you write him in? Well, 
Matthew's got a very important reason for why. Let's keep going. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was who? Rahab. Now, now, now stop. He's listing a lot of men here. And he comes to the Salmon, the father of Boaz. And he edits in a commentary. He doesn't need to put the commentary in, but he does it for a really important reason. Boaz, um, whose mother was Rahab. And again, at the mention of Rahab, all of the Jewish men and women would have gone, oh, no, not Rahab. Rahab wasn't just a woman. She was a scandalous, scandalous woman. She wasn't even Jewish, right? She was a pagan. She was a Canaanite. So what Matthew is saying by, he doesn't have to identify her, but he does. And in doing so, he reminds all of his readers that Jesus doesn't have pure Jewish blood. There's Canaanite, there's pagan blood flowing through the family tree of Jesus. And Rahab has this, this nickname that's attached to her. Throughout the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, man, you see that Rahab is labeled. Now, nicknames, labels have been around for a long, long time, not just for biblical characters, but historical characters. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. From the Bible, there was this guy called John the who? John the Baptist. So the Baptist was his label, was his nickname. From world history, there was Alexander the, yep. From the Wild West, there's Billy the, yep. From Sesame Street, there's Oscar the, yep. And from Star Wars, there's Jabba the, huh, yeah. So, so there's all these Nicknames, you were given a label, you were given a nickname because of maybe a character trait or something from your past. So Rahab has a label, Rahab has a nickname. She's known throughout the entire Bible as Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute. So right here at the beginning of the family tree of Jesus, you got this guy, this cousin Eddie Judah, and now you got Rahab the hooker. Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute. Merry Christmas to you, right? But, 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 but he doesn't have to identify her, but he does. And he puts her in the story again for a very important reason. Look at Matthew 1, 5b, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Here's another woman that makes her way into the family tree of Jesus. Ruth, if you read the book of, of Ruth, Ruth is a... She's a great woman, but she's, again, she's, a, she's a pagan. You know, she's, she, she's a Moabite. She's a non-Jew. So again, in the story of, of Jewish national pride, you've got these foreigners, you've got these half-breeds, you've got these pagans that are written into the story of Messiah. Let's keep going. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. I love this. Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. He doesn't even mention her name. Uh, Solomon, Solomon's mama, uh, who had just happened to be Uriah's wife. Who, who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. He doesn't even want to say her name. Uh, it was Solomon's mom, the wife of Uriah. The, the woman who was taking a bath, who David spied on and peeped at and had adultery with and then killed her husband. Again, he doesn't have to write her into the story, 
but he puts her into the mix. Nothing, I'm not saying Bathsheba was a wicked woman, but there's a wicked event tied to, to her name and to the name of David as well. And so again, there's a, there's a seedy, scandalous limb coming out of the family tree of Jesus even right here. And it just seems like Matthew's going out of his way to put in seedy, scandalous events or seedy, scandalous people. A lot of Cousin Eddie's where he could have just edited them out. And he doesn't just do that with, with, with women. He does that with a lot of people. He talks about Solomon. You know, everybody think, well, Solomon was the son of David. He was a good king. Well, not really. He had 700 wives, 400 concubines. And at the end of his life, Solomon was building and, and, and praying to pagan gods, building altars and praying to pagan gods, and he had turned his heart away from God. So, man, you know, there's a cousin Eddie right there. Uh, he talks about Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon who split the kingdom into two. Under the rule of Rehoboam, there was a civil war, and Israel split in two. There was Jehoram, uh, cousin Eddie, king who killed all of his brothers. There was Ahaz. King Ahaz, everything God told King Ahaz not to do, don't do this, stay away from, Ahaz went ahead and did. So there's this king whose heart turned from God and he worshiped the pagan gods. He put pagan shrines on every street corner in Jerusalem. There was Joash. In this list, there's Joash. Started out a good king, but again, his heart turned. He abandoned the temple. He worshiped other gods. One of the true prophets of God was preaching in the temple court, and under Joash, Joash had him stoned to death. So there's a king who killed a true prophet of God. There was Manasseh, king of God's people, who burned his own son alive to the pagan god Molech. So I'm just showing you in these 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1, when you read about the genealogy, we, we have some good people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we have some good kings in there, but it's like Matthew goes out of his way to talk about all the Cousin Eddies, to talk about all the scandalous people. I mean, there are schemers, adulterers, idolaters, prostitutes, and those are the good guys. And he just spends all of his time, you know, talking about these scandalous people. So the question again is, why? Why does he highlight the Cousin Eddies? Why does he highlight some of these broken, scandalous people? I think he does it to remind us that's what Jesus' coming was all about. That, that's what Christmas really is all about. And if we were all totally transparent, if you and I could just really be, be um, truthful, wouldn't we all say there's a lot of Cousin Eddie living in, in me, living in you? I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we, we think. There's a lot of stuff that we say. There's a lot of stuff that we do that probably runs against you know, what a holy God would call us to do. And, and maybe like Rahab, maybe you come from a past that, that was labeled. Oh, you weren't known as the harlot, but maybe you were known as Bob the partier. Maybe you were known as Gina the liar. Maybe you were known as Stacy the alcoholic. Maybe you were known as Craig the screw up. Listen, I, I stand before you every single week reminding you, don't, don't put me on a pedestal. I am a work in progress. I still say things, think things, and at times do things, man, that, that aren't well, that aren't good, that aren't healthy. God is redeeming me, God has saved me, and is continuing to save me, but man, I'm still a work in progress. Several months ago, uh, the bath, uh, the, the toilet in our bathroom upstairs uh, was starting to, to stop up, Start, it, wasn't, it wasn't flushing right. 
And, and you know, uh, man, plunging, plunging, plunging. And then all of a sudden, water started backing up in the shower in that bathroom. And I'm like, uh-oh, that's big time trouble. So, so I, I realized quickly, somebody must have flushed something in this toilet, and it's, it's not good. So I gathered all the girls together, and I had an inquisition. I'm like, all right, who did it? Who flushed what? Did you, is a curling iron down there? Like, what? What is going on? And they all denied their innocence. And so I said, well, we're going to get to the bottom. I know I didn't do anything. We're going to get to the bottom of this. So I called out a plumber with a cam- He had to bring a camera. He snakes his camera. I'm like, we're going to find what's down there. And when I find what's down there, whoever did this, you're going you're to be in big trouble. So I mean, he's, he brings his camera out. He's snaking it down there. After about 15 minutes, we're looking at this screen. I feel like we're going to the Titanic, right? He's down there with the camera. And all of a sudden, he goes, oh. And I look at the screen, and he looks at the screen, and I can't really tell out what it is. And he's like, never seen this before. I'm like, what is it? He says, it looks like a two-inch screw. And immediately when he said that, y'all, I went, I did my best Homer Simpson. I went, duel! And I knew exactly what it was. I ran down, went out into my garage, got up on my ladder, and this is what I knew had happened. Two or three days before that backup, I was installing shelving in my garage into the ceiling. I was doing everything right. I followed the joists. I had the wood stud finder. I had the right screws. But uh, what I couldn't see was what was behind the wall. And this is what was behind the wall. In the middle of one of those joists, they had cut out a three-inch section of joist and put in this pipe that went from my toilet down to the basement out to the, you know, to the sump pump. And, and what I didn't realize is that three-inch section of, of, of pipe, the only three-inch section of the entire wall was a section I hit. Look at the next. Look how good I hit this pipe. Go to the next slide. Bullseye. <laughs> Dead center. I drilled it good, man. I mean, I put a two-inch screw right through the middle of that pipe, and, and so here I am, getting on my girls, thinking that they, and I'm the culprit, I'm the screw, I, I cousin Eddie, big time, right? So if you're looking for any repairs, don't call me, right? Well, the family jury, the family jury was very gracious. They gave me great leniency, they put me on probation, sentenced me to no home repairs for two years, so I got what, I got what I deserved, right? But, but again, it, it, it's kind of like synonymous with my life. I, I, I don't want to be a Cousin Eddie. I, I don't want to screw up, but it just seems like at times that just flows through my veins. And again, I, I know God is working on me and through me and in me, but I just, I just want you to know that because, because maybe you're sitting out there and there are things from your past and you say, you know what, Craig, um, you, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the ways I've screwed things up things I've said, things I've done to other people, things I've thought. And Craig, you know, I, I hear this, this whole gospel thing, but God could really never forgive someone like me. God, God could never use a man like me. God, God would never hear a prayer from a woman like me. And what I'm telling you is, um, the, the, the first 17 verses of Matthew Maybe you have believed that your whole life, but you come to church today and you've read this encounter and you've read these names, names that really don't maybe mean anything to you, and maybe for the first time, you're gonna say, well, wait a minute. God, God forgave folks like that. 
and, and maybe, maybe God can forgive me. That, that's the good news of Christmas. That's why Christmas, that's why we celebrate it every single year. Matthew put those names in his gospel for a reason. He edited in some of these cousin Eddies. He highlighted them because he wanted you to know, wanted us to know that, that that's who Jesus came to save. You're exactly the kind of man God wants to use. You're exactly the kind of woman God wants to hear your prayers. That's what Christmas is all about. I think what God is reminding us in the genealogy is no one's too far gone. No one's too far gone. No one's beyond his grace. Jesus came to save imperfect people. Jesus came to redeem every cousin Eddie in the world. Do you remember when the angels appeared to the shepherds in Bethlehem? That, that first Christmas night. Do you, do you remember what they said? Let, 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 let me remind you. Look at Luke chapter two, look at verses nine through 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, no, 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 don't be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a, a what? A, a savior. A savior. Not a religious figure. Not a politician. Not an educator. A savior has been born for all people. Not just the people of that night. Not just the people of that generation. A savior has been born for all people. The angel said, man, that... That is good news. So listen to me, no matter what you've done, no matter how long it's been, that child, that baby, will leave that manger and be carried by his mother. That child will have to learn how to walk. That child will have to learn how to talk. That child will go to school and get his heart broken. That child will leave Bethlehem and go to Nazareth. Will leave Nazareth and grow up and go to Galilee. Will leave Galilee and go to Jerusalem. And on a cross in Jerusalem, he will die for your sin, your shame, and your guilt. And he will rise from the dead. And if you've never embraced him as your Lord, as your Savior, if you've never said to him, Lord, my life is pretty messed up. I screw up a lot. It's muddy. It's murky. It's messy. I'm kind of a big cousin Eddie. But man, come into my life. And if you forgave a woman named Rahab the harlot, if you used a guy called David the adulterer, if you can forgive Jacob the liar, you can use Craig the script, may, maybe you can forgive and use me. Friends, that's, that's the message of Christmas, and that is a message of great joy.